TNC 255. All right. So if you guys want to call in, I know a lot of you are going to have questions and comments about uh, the fights this weekend, man. We had some great, great fights. And um, a knockout of the year candidate, I think, uh, for sure. And a couple of upset specials. So, and then a, a bubble got burst. You know what I'm saying with uh, with Josh Kelly. So, let me get right into this. First of all, let's get some news and notes. We don't have a whole lot to discuss, but I am Miami bound this week. I am going to cover the fight between Canelo Alvarez and Avniel Durham uh, live for Ring Magazine, all Ring platforms, RingTV.com, et cetera, et cetera. So, any of you guys in the Miami area who are going to be at the fight, even if you're not going to be at the fight and you're just chilling there in Miami, maybe we could do a meetup. Uh, maybe Friday night after the weigh-in, something like that. Just let me know, and uh, we'll make that happen, all right? DM me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. I'll try my best uh, to make something like that happen. It's going to be chaotic. There's all sorts of COVID protocols and stuff like that. There's going to be a bubble at the hotel, and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like as far as, you know, once I get tested and all the things I have to do, can I leave? Can I talk to people? I, I just don't know. So once I get down there, I'll know a lot more. It's very um, haphazard, I will say. Uh, just a lot of last-minute things being thrown together for media. I mean, we basically just found out a few days ago what the scenario is. And I understand because it's a moving influx thing. But anyway, I'll be in Miami this week. Also, I wanted to show you guys this. The April issue of Ring Magazine is out, April 2021 issue, and it is dedicated to the 50-year anniversary of the first fight between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, the, the true fight of the century. And, um, of course, they would go on to have three historic epic heavyweight clashes between them. So uh, make sure you guys check that out. It's out in stores. Uh, one news item that I saw, uh, I think um, Alexander Povetkin and Dillian White, their rematch has been postponed multiple times, right? Well, I think finally... We got a date and we got a location. It is March 27th in Gibraltar. And that, of course, will be on the zone in all markets except the UK and Ireland. Everywhere else that the zone has, uh, every other market that the zone is in will have that fight. But in the UK and Ireland, it's a little different for you guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Gibral Gibraltar is, okay, and, and I have had people ask, it's a tiny little British territory, like on the very southern coast of Spain. Um, so uh, that's where the fight's going to be held. An interesting venue for that fight. And that's it for news and notes, man. All right, let's, uh, I see a bunch of you guys uh, here. In this so when you guys leave comments, now uh, I can do this. So Trent on Peru in the chat said the Bohacek interview was awesome. Thank you so much, Trent. I appreciate that. It was great speaking with him. And uh, Tom Loeffler actually reached out and said, hey, man, good interview. So um, he, we, we plan to do more of those, his fighters and other fighters. I did that interview on this software here that obviously I'm still figuring out. But uh, I just literally mastered this, if you will, Sunday. Uh, yesterday so it's it's uh very very rough but i'm going to be able to interview a lot more fighters with this technology you guys know these fighters especially now with covid and everything going on they're all over the world right but with this technology that i have now i can get them i can just send them a link and they could jump on with their phone their whatever their laptop whatever it was whatever it is and um we could do an interview and i can record them and post them to my channel we could do it live so many options, man. So uh, I'm really, really excited for this, man. And um, 
it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, I see a couple of you guys in the comments. Um, as a couple of guys were asking before, like the stream looked a little bit patchy, a little bit slow. The laptop that I'm using, it's a couple years old. I'm about to buy a brand new one with a super crazy processor that will make the video look even sweeter. Okay. So I don't want to get too much into Nerdville with all the technology stuff. I just want to let you guys know, as I always say, every dime I make off this show, whether it's Ring paying me to do the show now, whether it's you guys with with the Patreon, Super Chats, all that kind of stuff, I completely reinvested into technology and try to make the show bigger and better all the time. So we're never going to reach a a plateau. We're never going to reach a peak. We're going to keep on climbing all the time. There's always something new we can add to this, and we're going to make it better and better. Uh, Let's see. Um, I want to get another one of your comments here. Hamed in the chat says, episode 250 of the Landmark Great stuff, Mike. Good prediction. Great weekend of boxing. Thank you so much, Hamed. And we have a super chat pledge from Ray Valero. Thank you so much, Ray. Up there, I think you're in uh, Chile, Chicago right now. I think you're in like a, a mile of snow up there. He says, Mike, just want to say good call on Burchell versus Valdez. I still remember you saying Donaire versus Inouye would be a very close fight. You definitely know what you're talking about. Great show. Keep it going. Thank you so much. You know what? I totally forgot about that pick. Uh, although I picked in a way to win, I, I believe don't. Yeah, I believe I picked in a way to win. But I said it'd be very, very competitive. Wouldn't be surprised if Donair won. And everyone thought I was nuts. Everyone thought in a way was just going to mop the floor with Donair. And what happened? Right? It was completely different. I just saw something in that matchup, and I knew the fighters very well, specifically Donair. And in, in this particular matchup last week between Burchelt and Valdez, I know Valdez very well. And I saw something in the matchup that made me think, you know what? I think everyone's sleeping on Valdez. I've been telling you guys that for months, right? I, at least weeks. It's not like I waited to the last minute because I saw some of you out there Thursday, Friday, change your pick. And that's okay. I've done that too. We all do that. It's okay. You could change it last minute, but you waited till it was safe. I'm just putting it out there till the odds started to change a little bit. Then a couple of yous came in with the Valdez picks, but Hey, if you got it in before the opening bell, it counts. That's how this works. If you get in the fight pick before the opening bell and you get it right, then you can own it. But uh, yeah, man, I just saw something in that matchup, which we'll talk about here in a second. I'm just uh, over here playing with my uh, new new toy here. Uh, Hamed is asking, does Patreon have any special special features? My Patreon right now does not. I, I really, I, I give you guys a shout out. I'll chat with you. You can ask questions to me privately off the show. Uh, my boy, John Uden asked me one today that I answered him privately. Um, so there's stuff like that. And sometimes I'll post, I have posted videos of me sparring and training and even stuff like videos of me working on the house on there and stuff. But to be honest with you guys, I want to get away from Patreon. Um, Now that I'm being paid by Ring to do this and everything, I don't feel comfortable doing Patreon. And I want to put out my own website. And this is in the works for later this year. And I promise I'll get back to boxing. But uh, I want to have my own website where I can have some MOB merch on there. Right, I can have some MOB t-shirts and stuff. I got to get going with all that. Uh, It's just I've been trying to get this technology situation together with the show first before I do all that. But also on the site, I'll have like a donate button where if you guys just want to do a one-time donation, Hey man, good show the other day. Here's a $5 tip. Boom. Something like that. 
I'd rather do it that way than do it on Patreon through this corporate entity who, you know, I don't know what they're doing with that money and everything else because they're taking a, a small chunk and it just makes me a little uncomfortable. So that's that's in the works, man. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's get into the fight review. I see a bunch of questions here, guys, and I promise we'll get to them. Uh, John Signorella on the chat says, uh, going to call in soon, brother. Please do, man. But you guys see the numbers behind me. There is a glare on that UK number, but I'll, I'll read it out loud uh, just so you guys uh, can hear it here. 213-267-7787 in the USA. In the UK, 02081-3051. All right, now... Let's uh, let's jump over to the uh, review. So real quick, last Wednesday on Showbox, Vladimir Shishkin, unanimous decision win over Sena uh, Akbeko. Of course, those are super mates. And a Jensen Figueroa uh, Boca Chica with a majority decision win over Mark Reyes Jr. Uh, welterweights. And then we get into Saturday. It was a loaded Saturday. And, uh, man, this fight, this was a good card, starting over in London from Matchroom. On the zone. Um, but in the main event, David Avenesian, TKO6 win over Josh Kelly, uh, a battle of welter, uh, welterweights here. And this is the first official pro loss for Kelly. He had a draw two fights ago against Ray Robinson. Many people felt he got a gift in that fight. I thought it was close. You know, you, you could argue a draw. It was close, but you could absolutely argue Robinson won that fight. Either way, he got away with a draw. He is now one, one in one in his last three. Kelly is in this fight against Avenizi, and he started well, but then he got cut multiple cuts on the back of the head, the front of the head. He was cut everywhere, bleeding profusely. And um, then he was dropped a couple times uh, in the sixth round before his corner threw in the towel. So I want to give credit to David Avenizi first, because I think too many people were talking about Josh Kelly after this fight. Because Josh Kelly had so much potential in the eyes of so many people. And we see this in uh, boxing all the time, right? We, we see a lot of guys come out with all sorts of hoopla and attention. And sometimes it just doesn't pan out. You have busts. And I don't know, is it too early to call Josh Kelly a bust? I'm not sure, you know. But talking about his style at, f- at first, okay, uh, way too much flash from Kelly. He was doing this, this, I'm just going to call it stupid because I think it's stupid for people to do it when it's not working. The shoulder roll, the, the shoulder, you know, the tuck, whatever you want to call it, where you're getting under your shoulder, which it's always good to tuck your chin under your shoulder. I'm not arguing against that. But when you got your damn hands down at your knees and you're trying to slip everything, guys, my coach has always told me there are four defensive categories, right? Uh, one of the coaches I'm working with now, Christian Steele here in Atlanta, former professional fighter out of Philadelphia. I think he had something like 25 pro fights. And he was, he's told me about this a few times. He's talked to me, look, man, there's four defensive um, stages, if you will. The first, if you could get away from, from punches, just using your feet, that's great. And then you can have your hands down at your knees and you can have your chin up in the air. If you can use your feet to get away from shots, cool. But at some point, your opponent, if they're experienced and battle tested, which Avenesian is, they're going to cut down the distance. They're going to get to you and you're going to have to do more than just move your feet. Second stage is to block punches. That means putting your damn hands up and just blocking punches, whether you're parrying them, you're absorbing them, whatever. 
But just use your hands, your arms to block punches. That's number two. I'm sorry. That's number three. Number two, I apologize, guys. Number two is slipping punches using your head, okay? So it's first with your feet. Then it's slipping punches. Number three is blocking punches. Number four is clinching. The problem with Josh Kelly is he's trying to do the first two because he wants, I think, to look cool. It looks cool. And it's easy to do those things early in a fight because your opponent hasn't yet measured the distance properly. So again, once they cut down that distance and you're using your feet, they're they're right on you. Then maybe you could start using your head. You can pull back. You can dip to your right, to your left. You can get underneath. But eventually they're going to they're going to cut that distance down. Okay. And then there's, there comes that third element where you have to block punches. And for some reason, particularly uh, mostly in American boxing, but I do see this sometimes with some of the, the younger British fighters, they think it just, it, it's, it's not cool to just stand there and block a punch and absorb a shot to catch and shoot. It doesn't look as pretty as getting away with your feet or slipping or sliding. Yeah. It doesn't look as pretty, but Sometimes that's what you got to do. And the number four, sometimes you got to clinch. If you got a dude right on top of you and he's teeing off and you're up on the ropes and you can't use your feet to get away, you can't slide and slip everything, you can't even block everything, man, just grab the guy, spin him, push him into the ropes, have the ref come break you up. It's okay to use all four of those. And Josh Kelly seems only interested in the first two. And that's what cost him here because he was in there with an experienced fighter that cut down that distance, chopped down the first two lines of defense, and Kelly just did not have the other ones. He was breathing so heavy after the fourth round, I think it was. And I'm like, damn, dude, you're winning this fight. I had him up, I think, three rounds to one after four, I think it was. And I'm thinking, dude, you're, you're, you're winning this fight. He won the first two rounds clearly, and you're huffing and puffing like it's the 10th round. Why? Because he's using nothing but feet and head movement and doing this shoulder roll shit and all this and have it easy. And when you've got a guy putting pressure on you like that, you got to shell up and sometimes you got to clinch. That's what Oscar Valdez did against Burchelt. Now, some of you guys didn't like it. Some of you guys that wanted Burchelt to win, you were complaining and you didn't like some of the tactics Valdez used, but it worked and you saw the result. So that's the difference um, between levels with, with some of these fighters, man. You got to know when to do all four of those things defensively, and then you got to know when to pour it on offensively. Sometimes you're touching the dude. Sometimes you're putting full power in. And Kelly just never learned those things. You could get away with what Kelly does in the first two, three, four rounds of a fight. That's going to work great in the amateurs. In the pros, you got to have levels. You have to make adjustments. So in that respect, Kelly reminds me of Tony Harrison. I have always called Tony Harrison a five-round fighter. After five rounds, he is not the same guy. The first five rounds, Tony Harrison is an elite-level fighter. After that, he's average at best. So that might be what we have here with Josh Kelly. We shall find out. Avenizzi was shorter, older, slower, but battle-tested, right? And that was the difference here in this fight. Kelly, a good amateur career, but not great. 2016 Olympics, yeah, he went, but he lost to Daniar Eliusinov, right? The Kazakhstan fighter who looks like a great blue chip prospect now. For Avanesian to plow through Kelly the way he did, and maybe it was too much too soon for Kelly. This was his 12th pro fight. I get it. But for him to mow this guy down, and then remember, guys, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Igadijus Kavliowskis scored a TKO 6 
dominant win over Avenizian. And then Bud Crawford, who, yeah, got dropped, flash knockdown, but ended up dominating and stopping Kavaliauskas. So again, I go to levels. There are levels in this game, man. And that win for uh, for Kavaliauskas over Avenizian over Kelly, you see Bud beats them all. It just goes to show you how advanced, how elite a fighter like Terrence Crawford is. Okay, let's uh, let's jump to another fight review here. I'm going to change my banner. Look at this. Boom. Now, let's talk about uh, the PBC card on uh, Showtime. This was uh, from TGB Promotions, Salida Promotions, and about billions promotions in Connecticut. And, uh, okay, talk about Robert Easter, 140 pounds, getting a W. Rache Warren at 118, getting a W. They were both unanimous decision wins. Warren is still a legitimate uh, quality bantamweight. And I think Easter, you can argue, is a top 10, bottom level of the top 10 at 140 pounds. Heavyweight action, the main event. I expected more out of this fight between Otto Valin and Dominic Brazil. I don't believe Valin fought at all in 2020. The last time he fought was against Tyson Fury, and he gave a good effort, cut Fury, but I think it was more of a fluke. I think Valin is a good quality, decent heavyweight, but I maybe he's borderline top 10, maybe. I think he'll be competitive and make for good fights as long as his chin and durability holds up against any of the top 10 heavyweights. I don't know how many of them he beats, though. I just don't know. But against Dominic Brazil who probably is a top 30 maybe heavyweight right now. Uh, he just absolutely dominated this fight. And it wasn't until the very, very late rounds where Valin maybe was a little tired and maybe thought, you know what? I can't knock this guy out. It's going to go the distance. Let me pull back and reserve some energy. That's what I saw Valin doing, just body language. Brazil had some moments in those late rounds, but it was pretty one-sided, man. Uh, Brazil, no fights since that KO1 loss to Deontay Wilder in 2019. Punch resistance against elite-level punchers like Wilder, gone. And then uh, just got battered and beat up. Looked so slow in this fight. He made Joe Joyce look like Pernell Whitaker out there. You know, uh, just just very, very slow. He's had two title shots now. He was stopped in both of those. And, you know, he was undefeated when he fought Joshua for the title. Got beat up in that fight and ultimately stopped. And then against Wilder, of course, you know, that was a ridiculous matchup. By that point, Brazil was not the same guy. He had been beat up in so many fights, including fights he won. And then, you know, just just obliterated by Wilder. But in those two title fights, he made some money. He's made some good money. For a guy who is what he is, okay, no disrespect to him, but the level he's at, I think he's made some good money. And it's time to walk away, dude. If you're getting absolutely battered by Otto Valin, you know, uh, a guy that, you know, Brazil is bigger than, stronger than, taller than. Valin, much better of an athlete, obviously. Valin, a faster guy, more twitchy. Not that he is a really super fast, twitchy guy. I'm just saying compared to Brazil, he is. Um, you know, just I think I think Brazil should hang him up, man. And then the main event, Adrian Broner making his return after a two-year layoff since that loss to Manny Pacquiao. Unanimous decision win over Giovanni Santiago out of Puerto Rico with a very weak resume, not many fights, making a a big leap up in opposition in terms of experience, at least. And, of course, this was billed as a 140-pound fight. And I told you guys last week, now, look, I had a good fight pick in the Valdez-Burchelt, but I blew it on this one because I told you guys, you know what? 
I think Broner's going to make weight. I believed in him. Holy shit, was I wrong. <laughs> uh, not only did he not make 140, two days, it might have been the day before the fight, or no, sorry, the day before the weigh-in, they they you know announced, hey, we're going to change this to a, a welterweight fight. It was no catchweight, like, hey, we're going to do a 144 catchweight. Now nah, we're just going to go up a whole division. Okay, so so Broder, it's not like he tried it. Ah, shit, I can't make 140. Let me try for 142, 143. It gives Santiago some money. Now, since he was the A-side and they were running the show, they just basically said, hey, you know what? We're going to change the division. So as far as I know, no money exchanged hands or anything like that. Santiago was training and melting down to 140. But a day or two before the weigh-in, it was like, hey, man, you can go ahead and eat some food now. We're going to do this at 147. So I, I, that was absolute bullshit, obviously, to start. And, but it was a good way for Bronner's side. At least they came in last minute so Santiago could relax a little bit that last day as well and not have to melt off the last pound or two. But at least they did that much. But, yeah, it, it was funny because – and look, you know, it was a Ring magazine – or I'm sorry, a Ring TV story came out that said Adrian Broner makes weight for his welterweight fight. And uh, Joe Santa Liquido wrote it, uh, who I respect the hell out of, does a fantastic job. Uh, but I looked at that headline. I'm like, Joe, he made weight because they changed the division. I don't know if that, you know, I think there was some sneaky genius to Joe titling it that way because he knew guys like me would look at it and kind of scratch our head. Uh, so I, I think it was genius, not trolling, but just genius kind of gotcha, uh, not clickbait. But just the way he titled that would get guys like me to say something. That was genius on Joe's part. But anyway, the fight itself. And look, guys, I know a lot of you out there hate CompuBox numbers. Okay. But I'm going to give you a few here because I get it. CompuBox is inaccurate a lot of times. Okay. Uh, I, I would say give them a 10%. Uh, you know, plus minus in terms of accuracy. And, and for the record, they have done studies. And generally speaking, they are within that 10% threshold, okay? But these numbers tell a story, a very, very clear story, that this was a pretty one-sided fight. Santiago landed 207 punches, 30% accuracy. Bronner landed 98 for 29% accuracy. Now, there are times where people will say, oh, well, one guy landed twice the amount of punches, but his accuracy was shit. The other guy landed half as much, but his accuracy was outstanding. He was pot-shotting. He was counter-punching. He was boxing pretty. Not only did uh, Santiago land more than twice as many punches, he was slightly more accurate. It was like a fraction of a percent more accurate than Broner. Uh, Santiago landed 91 body punches, 11 for Broner. Body punches are, are included as power punches right so that's 91 to 11 and then i think uh one oh no i'm sorry guys yeah 124 to 49 overall power punches but that included 91 to 11 body punching i think broner landed more jabs i do believe but overall when you look at the punch numbers the accuracy the the activity dude just not based on that alone this was at best a draw okay at best Somehow these judges scored it 117-110, 116-111, and 115-112 for Bronner. A point was taken from Santiago for hitting after the bell, even though Bronner hit after the bell as well. I did not mean to make that rhyme. 
So that's why uh, the scores, you guys might be scratching your head. Wait a second. There's a point missing on Santiago's side. That's why. Glenn Feldman's score of 115-112 is essentially seven rounds to five for Broner. I still think that's a bad scorecard, but I can live with it. I will choose to live with it. But these other two, 116-111, that's eight rounds to four, and 117-110, that's nine rounds to three. What fucking fight were you people watching? Even Glenn Feldman, who's had several bad scorecards and just turned into a house judge. He's absolutely compromised. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Um, that His score was the best, but it still was a poor scorecard. But the other two are absolutely off the reservation. Uh, that's all I have to say. You know what? I'll say one last thing about Broner. I've said this before, and it always causes controversy, but it's the truth. There is no more privileged fighter in this era of boxing than Adrian Broner. He will get another big fight after this. This will be used as, oh, he's back. He's back, right? You heard Brian Custer, the whole uh, Showtime broadcast, saying things like that. The whole crew said all that. He's going to get another big fight after this. Maybe it's Keith Thurman or someone. I'd like to see him fight Regis Progray. Make that fight happen. That would be a fun fight. I'd love to see that one. But him and Keith Thurman is likely what you're going to get, something like that. I don't like it. Uh, it's unnecessary. It does nothing but get I mean, cool. The guys get paid, whatever. If it's not on pay-per-view, okay, it's a decent matchup. But there are guys out there busting their ass, killing themselves, moving from halfway across the world, moving from Ghana, Ukraine, the Philippines, Mexico, Nicaragua, wherever it is, Cameroon, to a, a complete other country to fight and try to feed their family back home. I talked to Sergei Bohacek this weekend, interviewed him. The interview is on my channel. Make sure you go check it out. And I asked him in the interview, you guys, you guys will see when you watch it, you know, how often do you see your family? Has your family ever been able to come to LA while you train, you know, while you prepare? Because he said last year he was in uh, Southern California the entire year, for, for I think for like 12 months, and then he got to go home for like a month. I was like, does your family get to come out? And he said, no, they don't have visas yet. None of them have visas. They can't come visit me. So this dude is halfway across the world, just living in a completely strange place, suffering, pushing himself, trying to get to a place where he can make enough money to get his family visas so they can come visit, or at least he can go back there and travel two, three times a year. And that's most fighters, dude, regardless of what part of the world you come from, even if you're here from here in America. These guys are making sacrifices, big sacrifices. And then you see there's a handful of guys out there for whatever reason that continue to get chance after chance after chance, even though they blow it and make a fool out of people. And to see the politics of boxing work in favor of Browner so that he can get one more big payday that he doesn't deserve. And I got nothing against Browner as a human being. I really don't. But he's privileged. I don't know why people have such a problem with me using that particular word. Politically, there's a few extremists out there. I know why they don't like me using that word with Broner, but outside of them, logical, reasonable, intelligent people, you shouldn't have a problem with me using that word for Broner. He is privileged. He's the most privileged fighter in this generation. All right, let's talk about the fight of the weekend. Before I get to it, uh, let's talk about the undercard. Las Vegas, MGM Grand, inside the bubble, top rank on ESPN. Uh, Gabriel Flores Jr. improves to 20-0 with a TKO6 win over Jason Velez, who needs to retire. Jason Velez, a consummate pro's pro. 
has fought everybody, always gives a, a great effort. Um, there's so much to like about Jason Velez, but his punch resistance is gone. He's shot at this point, needs to retire, and, and, and deserves to walk away and keep his faculties intact and enjoy some of the money he's earned. For Gabriel Flores, though, great step-up fight for him. Passed the test, did exactly what he was supposed to do, and more. I, I think pe- people have questioned his power. And to score a TKO6 win like this over Velez, great performance from him. This, the future is bright for Flores. The sky's the limit, man. Also on this card, prospects, uh, Esquivia Falcao, uh, middleweight out of Brazil, and Elvis Rodriguez, 147-pounder. Xander Zayas, another uh, 147. All got Ws on the undercard. Let's talk about this main event, yo. Let me get a drink of water to prepare myself. Let me go ahead and uh, hit the let me give a, applause to both fighters. What a freaking event. What a freaking event, man. Oscar Valdez improves to 29-0 and 0 with a KO-10 win over Miguel Burchelt. Wins his WBC 130 title. And I think... He is the number one junior lightweight in the world right now. Now, this is something that we were arguing on the ring ratings committee this weekend. To date, okay, unless I'm missing messages and I haven't checked all of them, I think I'm the only one on the committee that pushed for Valdez to be number one. Everyone else wants to put Javante Davis number one. And I understand that Javante Davis has been in the division longer. But my beef with putting him number one He's number one, he's missed weight several times. That's something Valdez has never never done. But Oscar Valdez just moved up in weight and fought a bigger, stronger, uh, more battle-tested, more proven, uh, more favored, heavily favored fighter and beat him decisively. No controversy, nothing like that, right? Javante Davis has never done that. Miguel Burchell was rated number one by the ring going into this fight. And Valdez just mopped the floor with the guy. Now, some people are saying, oh, well, Burchelt had trouble making weight. Really? Did you watch the weigh-in? The weigh-in's on YouTube. Go to Top Rank's YouTube channel. Watch it. Burchelt looks fine. He had to walk upstairs to get onto the stage. He had to walk down the stairs. I've seen fighters that were messed up at weigh-ins. Dudes will hold the rail while they're walking up the stairs. They'll put one foot, you know, they'll walk up the stairs slowly with their hands on the handrail helping them get up the stairs. He walked right up, did his thing, walked right down. I've seen guys weigh in that were really drained that did not stay to do press. They ran right back to the dressing room, right? And uh, Burchelt hung around. He did a quick interview with Bernardo Osuna for ESPN, but he also hung around and talked to some uh, Mexican media. So he hung around there afterwards. Yeah, he grabbed the water and pounded it. Everyone does. I'm thirsty right now. I'll grab a bottle of water and chug it. It doesn't mean that I'm drained and I'm not feeling good. So uh, obviously, he's always been a big 130, but I don't think he was weight drained for this fight. I think uh, that, you know all these conspiracy theories immediately hit uh, on social media when, when Valdez won this fight. And I'm like, dude, can we let this kid enjoy his accomplishment for five fucking minutes before we start piling on? And I saw a lot of people saying, well, put him in there with Stevenson next. Put him in there with Javante Davis next because they want to see him lose. They just want to see the guy lose. And I'm not necessarily saying he'd lose those fights. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm saying the people that are demanding that five seconds after he knocked out Burchelt, that's why they're demanding that because they want to see him lose. 
in fairness, though, there are some fans out there that are just like, dude, clearly the number one and number two in the division right now are Tank Davis and and um, and Valdez. I want to see them fight because they're the two best. That's different. I'm not talking about that. Okay, you guys know the difference. But to see all that on social media immediately, it's like, dude, this kid just had an amazing accomplishment, scored a knockout of the year, uh, proved everybody wrong except for me and uh, a few of you out there. And, uh, you know, helped some of us. I don't bet, but those I know a bunch of you guys out there who did who thanked me this weekend, like, dude, I owe you a beer. I made 500 bucks. I made 800 bucks. A few of you guys DM me. Hey, happy to help. You know, I got a couple of picks wrong. Hey, I picked Josh Kelly by points over David Evanesian, right? I, I, I thought that, uh, well, if he had boxed the way he boxed in the first two rounds, he could have done what I thought he was going to do. But um, look, Valdez, let him enjoy his moment. Get, give him five minutes to enjoy this moment. Then we can start talking about what's coming up uh, down the road, man. But it was just amazing to see that immediate reaction. All right, I got a call here in the queue. I'm going to jump to this call, and then I'll get back to reviewing this fight because I saw some things in this fight uh, that are just – now they're pretty blatant, right? And it's it's part of why I picked Valdez. But let's jump over to uh, 702. 702, you're on the neutral corner. Go. Hey, Johnny Signorella here, man. How you doing, Mike? Johnny, what's up, my man? What's up, brother? First of all, you're doing a great job with the technology. We spoke about this on my show about how hard it is to do a chat feed with people, multitask, take in callers. It's rough, brother. So you're doing a hell of a job. Thank you. I don't care what anyone says. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, man. Dude. What's up? Great. Now I got I got YouTube, I got uh, the software I'm using, I got and then which is what I'm streaming on. Then I have software where I have calls. Then I have my phone. I have a huge mixing board I just bought over here that you can't see on screen. I have a laptop, a monitor. I got so much shit going on. I don't know how I'm not losing my mind right now, but uh, we're making it work, baby. We're making it work. That's all you can do is make it work. You know, we're fighters, man. You got to go all you go. around and, and get to the finish line. You know, it's funny because you need all that equipment. It's like I started with a laptop when I did my show. And now next thing I know, my living room and whatever I do, any kind of podcast, wherever I'm at, looks like a Las Vegas sports book. Like <laughs> yeah. there's monitors everywhere. Yeah. And I can't keep up with the shit, brother. It's, it's crazy. But a uh, great breakdown. Oh, it's crazy. It, it takes a lot to do this thing. But great, great breakdown of the weekend. Um you know, the Valdez knockout of Burchell, I thought, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you saw it coming about a good couple seconds before. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit, here it comes. And then Valdez lands this big punch, um, you know, on Burchell. And what happened there was it sounded like a bass drum. It sounded like, boom. Yeah. Like, you knew it. I was like, oh, no. And when someone falls down face first, it's like, that's a situation. Like, that's a real situation. But I like the fact where you were going before I called in about the tactics that led up to this. Because I saw a lot of guys leaning in on each other. I thought the uppercuts were really available. It was a very inside fight. Uh, you know, some guys, you know, both of them really were reluctant to do it. But then we saw the inside game really change the game. Uh, what was your take on that fight as far as strategy goes? 
Uh, well, first of all, with Valdez, he's always been the faster guy. I, I saw people on Twitter saying, like, man, uh, Burchett looks so slow. He's always been kind of slow and plodding. He always has been. You got to look at matchmaking. And Valdez was always the faster guy. I knew that Valdez was going to be able to land punches. What I didn't know is if he was going to be able to land enough of them and stay disciplined, mainly behind the jab. I saw him lunge with some over overhand rights and some left hooks that weren't quite landing in the first couple rounds, but his jab was nice and straight. And once uh, he got Burchell reaching a little bit, then those hooks started to land. Because one thing Burchell does, and I kept this, I didn't talk about this last week because um, I just wanted to see if it'd play out this way. But Burchell, guys, go back and watch the fight. Anytime Burchell does anything with his left hand, whether it's just pawing, jabbing, hooking, he drops his right. It's just a habit that he has. And no doubt, Eddie Reynoso and his team saw that. I thought they would. Reynoso is turned into, what did I say last week? One of the best boxing minds out there. And every single time, uh, just go back and watch that fight. When uh, Burchett would paw something out with the left, that right hand comes down, and Valdez would time it and just, boom, nail him with that hook. And the first one he nailed him with in the fourth round that hit him on the temple took his legs out. He was never the same after that. Then what Valdez started doing, which was really pretty, Valdez would move to his right box, make Burchelt follow him, touch Burchelt a couple times, push him, move off to his left, get Burchelt to follow him again, touch him, push him, move off to his right. And he just repeated that for several rounds. And then in that 10th round, if you look just before that knockout, he's making Burchelt follow him. He's slipping, he's sliding, he's moving his feet, moving his head. Burchelt lunges, he gets desperate, and boom, nails him with that left hand. It was beautiful stuff, man. Boxing Science 101. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I saw as well. Uh, both guys leaning in, and, uh, you know, you're vulnerable when you lean in because, you know, you're a practitioner of the game, the same as I am. And that's dangerous territory right there. Um, almost yeah. like Allah, like, you know, you go back to, uh, looking at like Marquez Pacquiao type thing. Like, and that was a devastating knockout and it's using someone's forward momentum against them when you understand how to read the trajectory of the shot, you know? And I almost saw that like borderline coming up with Valdez. Valdez looked so good in that round and you could see that I got to give Burchell all the credit in the world. You could oh, yeah. see that he was coming in and trying so hard, man. He was trying so hard. And he was guns blazing, and, he, you know, he just got caught, and it happens in boxing. And credit to you for picking Valdez, because I had bro chill going into that fight. <laughs> well, hey, man, you, you you had the safe bet. I'm I'm the one that took the ballsy bet. I made a couple of other ballsy bets last week that completely backfired. So it is what it is. But um, it is funny. You know, a lot of guys will bash me when I get one wrong. Very few will be like, hey, good job when I get it right. So I appreciate you guys on the chat and you, Johnny, for uh, giving me some props here for calling this one. But um, yeah, man, Burchelt, I can't remember what round it was, but he went back to his corner and in Spanish basically said, I'm fucked. He said that to his corner and they pushed him back out there and tried to motivate him to fight again. It was in, you know, a, you know like Mexican slang. He said that. And um, you know, I, I don't know if he made the right choice by putting him out there for a few more rounds I don't know if he needed to take that much punishment. I don't know if he'll ever be the same, but he seems to be healthy. He got everything checked out. He's okay. But uh, dude, 
Uh, man, what a fun fight. What a fun, what a performance from Valdez. That was just awesome. I was really concerned when Burchelt went down and, uh, you know, because you saw him twitch a little bit. Yeah. And, like, do the Apollo Creed from, like, Rocky Four. Like, I was like, oh, no, this is not good. You know, I was watching it with my wife, and she's like, oh, man, you know, because she gets into it. And I'm so thankful that she gets into it because I got combat sports on at the house all the time. And if I'm not watching combat sports, guys, I'm watching martial arts movies from yesteryear, 80s, 90s. But anyway, um, for Michelle, <laughs> he had to go through, like, the, the second win, the third win, the fourth yeah. win. And when you see a fighter have to recover and recover, recover throughout the course of a fight, that's when you have a damaged guy. And yes. now you're in high-risk territory yes you're in high risk territory to understand that the fact that it could be damaged and you don't want to see that and so with Betrell when he went down like and that was one hell of a bomb guys like when that happened I saw the punch being telegraphed I saw it come, I'm like he's rushing in his hands are down for Burchell and and for Vasquez you know, the last uh, Valdez rather he had it going in, and you could see him full momentum. It, it brings me back, you know, to many other fights like I mentioned before with Pacquiao and Marquez and uh, Sergio Martinez and Williams. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. geez. like you know those bombs, Mike, when they go off. Yeah, and you know what? It it, it reminded me of when I was uh, training. When I was first starting out training, one of my coaches showed me something where. Um, a lot of people think like, if you think of a heavy bag swinging, uh, when they, when this, when the bag's swinging away, if you land a big right hand, they think, oh, it's, I'm moving the bag, right? It, Cause it's already swinging away from you. So some people just inherently think it's the momentum is going away from you. So if I hit it now, there's more power in that shot. And I remember one of my coaches swinging the heavy bag and had, he had me punch it when it was going away. And he said, now I want you to punch it when it's coming back at you full blast, put, you know, right into it, put your ass into it. And it was, it was swinging back at me hard. And I, boom, put one right into it. And it stopped, right? It was swinging back and forth. As it came into me, boom, my, my right hand stopped it. And he goes, which punch do you think would hurt someone more, right? And that's when I was like, oh, shit, I get it. When you got a guy, especially a taller guy, leaning in on you like that, a dude who's tired has been beat up, that the impact of that shot when a dude's moving into it is so much heavier than the guy moving away from it. Uh, even if he gets dropped from a shot that he's moving away from, it's not as impactful as coming in on a shot. You brought up a couple of great examples, Pack with Marquez, uh, Sergio Martinez against Paul Williams. There's a million of them out there, right? When you move into a shot like that, which is what um, Burchelt did, I got to tell you, man, I think if, if I were in his corner, I would advise him to take off the rest of this year. And when he comes back, he needs to come back at 135. Absolutely. And, and also reconsider, you know, what he's doing here. I mean, the thing is, when you get knocked out brutally like that, you got to take a lot of time off, significant yeah. time yeah. off, because, you know, the repercussions of that sort of thing is really bad. Luckily, I never suffered that. I only fought as amateur, so I, I don't know what the professionals go through. But I can only imagine, and we've seen things historically, unfortunately, with Arturo Gatti, Diego Corrales, not pan out in the, in the best examples of what this sport can do to you. Yeah. You know, so we want to make sure that these guys are taken care of and looked after, especially all the deaths that we had in recent years, you know, in yeah. the sport, which is insane. But 
I got to say this, man. At, at the end of the day, like, that fight was one of those fights where I knew it was marinating when it started. Valdez and Burchell. And then you get the, the certain vibe, like it's marinating, like it's a great stage. It's like, okay, after the third or fourth round, and then here we go. And then yeah. you're starting to get those fireworks, man. The reason why we show up. And that's what I love about boxing is that there's no other better sport on the planet. I follow almost every sport, and uh, I respect all athletes and all that type of stuff. But you mentioned something before, Mike, about, you know, trying to keep it loose and, you know, throwing your punches, like, without putting all your weight into it. Like, I took up golfing recently, and I was like Happy Gilmore out there, <laughs> like, going crazy. And then I realized, like, you just got to, like, chill. But yeah. with boxing, it was natural. Like drumming, it's natural. It's dynamic. Like I'm also a drummer. So it's like what happened was with the golf, I was just like trying to kill this ball. I'm like, this is a bullshit sport. There's yeah. no technique to it. And then I'm like, fuck, this is hard, bro. Yeah. <laughs> There's technique to everything. <laughs> I golfed once, man. It's funny you bring up Happy Gilmore because I think they, the, it's the 25-year anniversary. And uh, – I've seen all kinds of fun videos and stuff. Adam Sandler put one out. I can't remember the name of the actor, but the guy who played Shooter McGavin, he put something out on social media. It's It's been fun. But um, I, I golfed once with my brother-in-law. He loves golf. He, he's good at it. And all, but I – God, did I suck. There was one time, though, where I just magically hit the ball, and it went woof. And he goes, holy shit, Mike, do that again. And I could not do it again. I could do it once. And and then I was smashing the club into the ground. I was kicking shit over. I'm like, let's just go to the bar and drink some beer. I just couldn't do it. That's totally a finesse game. But in boxing, yeah, dude, when you see guys that are like, you know, I see a lot of newbies, their hands are clenched and, you know, their muscles are tight when they're punching. You can't do that, dude. You got to snap all that at the very end of the shot. to be loose. You know, you get comfortable. And Valdez was tight early on, but he started to really loosen up in the third, fourth, fifth round. And especially after he hurt Burchell in the fourth, and he was just feeling it. And you could just see it was his night. It, it's all about the legs. Like, people think boxing is all about the arms. It's not. It's all about the pivot off the back foot. It's all about being loose on the legs yeah. and relaxing. You get more snap off the shoulder. Than, than you do from your arm. Like, if you throw yes. your arms, you're going to be burnt out immediately, you know? Like, and that's the thing that happens. Uh, but I, I will say this about golfing, and this is something you cannot do if you're boxing. Golfing, you mentioned drinking beers. That's the best part about golf. <laughs> you can drink. And it's yep. a sport that's like, except like, what, what sport do you know that you could actually go like, hey, I'll sit down at lunch and have a six pack. Okay, cool. That's what everyone tells me. I don't know. I don't know shit about golf. I, I couldn't tell you who the champion is right now. I don't know anything. But my friends that do play tell me they're like, "Dude, you just get fucked up the whole time, and you drive around in the car and you drink." And I'm like, "That sounds kind of fun." But, you know, maybe after I, I'm cleansing right now and trying to work out and drop weight. But maybe later on this summer, maybe I'll give it a try. We'll see. <clears throat> Dude, the first time I was on a course, last thing about golf before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple of. Uh, fights of, of your interest coming up because I love your boxing brain, dude. Like, you do a great appreciate job. You break man. down fights well. And you, yeah, hell yeah, dude. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you having me on and, and the time we're sharing. I, the first time I went to a golf course just recently, so my homie picked me up. He's like, 
hey, man, you want to go golfing? I'm like, yeah, why not? I got nothing else to do. You know, screw it. So we're riding dirty, bro. We're, like, driving on the greens in the golf cart. I got, like, no sleeves on, tattoos blazing, all these types of stuff. You know, have no idea what the hell I'm doing at all. And people, like, come up to us and flagging us left and right. Like, people are driving up on their carts and saying, like, hey, you guys need to get your shit together. I'm like, what's the problem? So the next time I went back, I tucked in my shirt. I wore sleeves. I came out with proper clubs. You know, gentleman's attire. You like had that. gentleman's attire on. <laughs> I played myself proper. But, uh, fun coming up. I mean, I, I think Estrada versus uh, Chocolatito on March 13th yeah. is the best one out there. Dude, that's the Camus right? fight. Yeah, I mean, I was really excited for Bertel and Valdez, obviously, but that fight between Chocolatito and Estrada, um, that, you know, their first fight in LA was my first real good look at Chocolatito. And that goes back shit, almost a decade now. And that's when uh, Gonzalez really got on my radar. And um, things have changed. I do think Estrada's improved. Obviously, Chocolatito's not what he once was. Uh, but I think it's a can't-miss fight-of-the-year candidate. I think it, it could actually be better than what we saw Saturday because what we saw Saturday turned into a one-sided beatdown, right? There's a lot of heart and skill showed, sure. but I think what we're going to get in that fight is more two-way action, and um, I, I just can't wait for that one, man. Yeah, it's going to be a good one, man. You know, and I was looking forward to the one with Valdez and Burchell at this uh this past weekend and it, it, it definitely delivered. I mean, if anything, we probably got the knockout of the year oh, yeah. so far and it's yeah. very early in the year, but that, that thing was nasty, bro. Like you, you've been watching the fight game as long as I've been watching the fight game and, and you know, a lot about it. You train, like when you saw that, you knew what it was. I was like, that's, it's like, he ain't going to get up, Jim. Dude, before it landed. Style. Yeah. He ain't getting get up, up, Jim. Dude, before it landed. I mean, just before just when you – yeah, before it even landed, I was like, oh, shit. It was almost one of those where you want to turn away, but you can't, right? Because you're a sick fuck. You got to watch it. Uh, I just you, – you knew when – I told my wife yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I told my wife the same thing. I was like, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, yep. It's all go airborne. I was like, no good. <laughs> yeah, right? You, you just knew, but man. That's what it is. That's what it is, baby. It, it, it is the cruelest of all sports, man. But that's why uh, you can't look away. You you, you got to watch because at any second, you know. But, I mean, that was being set up for several rounds. But to see the smaller guy do that to the bigger guy, just the whole the optics of it was crazy. I don't think it, anything's going to beat that for knockout of the year. I just don't. It's really tough. And you said the optics. That's That's really the key word. You know, is yeah. that what we saw and a lot of people that saw that in the, my, you know, my friends that like will follow it. And I have even bartenders out here in Vegas that follow the sport like mildly would hit me up like directly after. Like they're, they're not hardcore yeah. like us and the listeners, but they hit me up and they'd be like, yo, did you see that? I'm like, first of all, of course I saw that. <laughs> yeah. know, like, who, who are you talking to over here? Of course, I saw it. Yeah. yeah. On a Saturday night, what do you think I'm doing? Like, I'm watching boxing. Right. And they're like, dude, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's, that's the reality of the sport. And that's what people have to understand. That's why I respect every fighter that gets in the ring 
everyone that wants to do any kind of form of combat sports, I mean, for better or for worse, there's some better people and, and there's some worse people out there and, and whatever it is, whatever it takes to get in the ring, I just love to see people box and be competitive and show appreciation afterwards because the way that Valdez went to Burchell after that fight when he's yeah. sitting on his stool, Burchell is, and, and shook his hand and gave him a hug, like, dude, that's what's up, man. Like, yeah. remember, like, Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward after the third fight and Arturo gives him the bottle of water? Like, yep. that that's a great gesture. It's all about respect. Once it's done, it's done. Exactly, man. You're gonna you're gonna make me tear up over here, man. Yeah, it's but that's what it's all about. <laughs> that, that photo that you saw, I think my man Mikey Williams took that photo. Uh, if I'm wrong, I apologize to whoever snapped that photo. But it's going around there on social where uh, Richelle's sitting in a stool, and it looks like he might be crying. I mean, it looks like he's literally tearing up, and Valdez is literally taking a knee right in front of him. Uh, you know, right there in solidarity with him, and, and they're like having this this moment together that only the two of them could possibly understand and a handful of other men uh, out there who have been there and done what they've done. It was beautiful, but you hit on something else earlier. Um, And I got to let you go in a minute, man, but I want you to give your social, your social media links in a second, but you did hit on something I do want to mention because you talked about your bartender friends hitting you up, man. Did you see that knockout? They saw that because it was on regular ESPN, not paper view how many people would have seen gervonta davis's knockout of leo santa cruz if it was on regular fox that is the problem with pay-per-view in the modern landscape of boxing man i'm so happy that this happened on regular espn so people like your bartender friends could see that that's what draws people to the sport and helps build fans. Anyway, man, I got to let you go. But before I let you go, give people your social yeah, you media it. so people could check out your stuff, man. Johnny's a good guy. Thank you so much, Mike. And check me out on uh, Boxing Music John on Twitter. And, Mike, I'm going to say this. You're a tribute to boxing moving forward as well yourself. Thank what you, you're sir. you're doing, the content you put out, the realism, and, and that's what's up here. But if you guys want to follow me, John Signorella, not Cinderella with the glass <laughs> slippers, no, Signorella, okay, Boxing Music John at Twitter. You can follow all my content. And please keep listening to Mike Montero. You know, he, he keeps it real, and he's keeping this, the sport moving forward. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Paisan. Have a good one, brother. Enjoy. Jenda. All right, all right. Ciao. There he goes, guys. Johnny Sig. And uh, it's it's Johnny Signorello, but, you know, in Italian, it's Signorella. You know, it, it sounds so much prettier in Italian than English, but it's uh, Signorella uh, on social. So check him out, guys. Uh, we had got another phone call. Let me jump to this real quick, and then we'll get back to the, to the fight review preview. 813, you're on the neutral corner. Go. My JT, JT from Tampa here. How are you doing, brother? JT from Tampa. What's up, my man? Hey, not too much, man. I see that you uh, you already covered the whole David Alanisian fight, so I won't take up a whole lot of time talking about this one. But you called you that, one. that one. You called that one, bro. Man. JT knows what's yeah, up. Man, I, you called it. And you said it yourself. You used, I think you used the perfect, the perfect phrase to describe David. He's battle-tested. You know, when I was talking last week and I was talking about all this comparisons with how he did against David Hopkins um, and right. versus how 
Josh Kelly had done previously to his opponents that are not really world class. You know what I'm saying? Right. So putting that together just kind of helped me get to that conclusion that I thought, okay, you know, I think Avenisian is going to, you know, do it on this one. Yeah, I mean, you called it. Um, I got to give you props, man. And, you know, for the record, everything that you said, I agreed with. I just, you know, I thought that the politics of boxing might play a factor. I thought that if Kelly could stay on his feet and just box and stay behind the jab the way he did in the first two rounds, that that might be enough, even if Avenisian scored a knockdown or had moments to get a decision. Uh, but you just saw Avenisian would not be denied. And the experience factor, the strength, the mental strength just showed. And I think he was in much better condition. Uh, Kelly looked uh, kind of just, just shocked for, in the fourth and fifth round. Like he just did not right. know what to do in there. And there was no plan B, no adjustments. And for Avenesian, it was like a shark smelling blood, man. Once he smelled blood, he just kept on going. And it was a great performance from him. Where do you think Kelly goes from here? Man? Yeah, I'm gonna- Kelly, Kelly, um, he's going to have to go back to that European level and just kind of stay there, just try to build, rebuild himself up because it was one of those things where, you know, kind of like cross, that crossroad type of fight where, okay, we'll see how you do against this guy before we can take you to the world class. Now, it seems like they might try to set him up against um, Colin Ben. Okay. Am I getting the name right? Well, yeah, I heard they mentioned that, but I don't know. I don't know. There's no plans, nothing official. Well, now like with that. the loss, that's, yeah, it's not looking that that. that yeah, because I think he was but, there. Uh, let me ask you. This. I think he was there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he was one of the commentators in the fight. But let me ask you this: because I was watching David, and it seemed like he almost kind of expected for Josh Kelly to come out really fast and look really flashy in the early rounds. And all he had to do was kind of weather that storm. And he kind of felt, I'm just kind of going off of body language here. I don't know. I could be wrong. But it seemed like he kind of knew that this guy was going to slow down at some point, and then he was going to take over from there. I completely agree. I think that he applied pressure. It was smart pressure. I, I, I do think that, look, Kelly is the taller, stronger guy. Uh, I don't, Maybe not stronger, but he's definitely the taller, longer guy. And probably faster, younger, all those things. And in the first round or two, that was evident. But he makes massive errors, massive mistakes. And Avenesian saw that. And I don't know if you saw earlier in the show when I talked about the four levels of defense, where you first you use your feet, then yeah. you use head movement, then you block shots, then you clinch. And for Kelly, he only knows how to do the first two. He kept trying to do this, this pullback, right? At first it was behind the shoulder, but then he was just trying to lean back. He was using his feet, but once Avenesian saw the distance and was able to measure that and cut the distance and cut him down, there was just no plan B from Kelly. So so for Avenesian, I think he was just patient. As you mentioned, man, he's battle-tested. He's been in there with guys. He knows what a 12-round fight is, a 10, 12-round fight. And so he was able to kind of see the long game. And Kelly, great amateur career, but, dude, you're talking three, four, sometimes five-round fights depending on the tournament – uh, those are short fights, and you could do all that flashy stuff in a short fight like that. But as rounds wear on, and you're dealing with three minute rounds, uh, when you're in there with a battle tested yeah. dude, you gotta have, you gotta be able to make adjustments, man. And you just couldn't. 
Yeah, it's it's really hard to do that for thirty six minutes straight. Yeah. You know, and like Kelly, I don't I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but yeah, he does have all this movement, he looks flashy, but I think he lacks the power. You know, yeah. you have to have some type of pop to make your guy respect you and to get your guy out of there. You know, and I think he lacks that. And I'm not gonna lie, when I saw the way in, I was like, Whoa, this is, he's looking a little big compared to David Alanis. But yeah. Now, yeah. Can't deny him that win. Um, as, as far as Miguel Miguel Burchell, you know what? I had to just like you. I was picking Burchell on that one, and I was proven wrong. So I guess I, I guess I, I'm not two and zero because the, the we're, one, we're, both we're both one and one. We're both yeah yeah yeah. We both had a, we had a draw well, last week. I guess week. that makes me makes me two and one because about a, a while back I had picked Povekin over White. Oh yeah, and that one. You know, we saw how it went down. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, Miguel Burchell, man, I, I was scared for that guy. I'm not going to lie. When he hit the canvas and he, he went down in sections. You, you yeah. notice how he went down, the knees hit first. You're right. Yeah. It's like, boom, boom. The boom. elbows. The building he, being blown up. You just see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was scary, man. And they, uh, he just stayed down for a while. I, I don't know, man. I just feel like after. I think it was that first knockdown that he had or something around that nature where he kind of got up, he got a sending egg out, but his legs were gone. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Now, being a referee and you see that your men's legs are gone, that's kind of a, a, a I don't know, a dangerous spot to put your, your fighter in. I agree. Look, I think Virchel Corner was too brave for their own good. I think that they could have stopped that fight earlier and i don't think people would have complained i do think that there was pressure on everybody because this was billed as a mexican versus mexican-american war and you know there's this pride on the line there's this national pride and an ethnic pride on the line and it, that included the corners that included the ref that included everyone involved in this nobody wanted to be the guy to pull the plug because they didn't want to take the heat from people but sometimes you got to be willing to take the heat and do what's right. And, and I'm with you, man. I think that the ref could have stopped it. I think that especially though the corner could have stopped it before we had to see that knockout. As a fight fan, I love seeing the knockout because that's what you watch fights for. But had that fight been stopped a round or two before, yeah, you don't get that exciting knockout, but you'd still have a clear winner. I mean, Valdez was a clear winner of that fight. And maybe it helps Burchelt's career in the long run. I don't know, man. It, it's a difficult decision to make, though. Agreed. Agreed. All right. We'll see where uh, where he goes from here. And I'll, I'll completely agree with you. I think that he should come up, you know, take some time off, definitely yeah. about a year or so. And when he comes back, just come back to lightweight. Don't go back to the same 130 pounds because he's already killing himself to get there. I think he'll look much better at lightweight. I, I think that he'll still have respectable power at lightweight. He'll have more energy. His power might carry up there perfectly because he won't be so drained. I, I think um, it, it's just better for him at 135. I hope he does that, man. I really, really hope so. All right. We'll see. We'll see. By the way, brother, I'm going to get off your line and just allow other callers to get in. But um, all right. Let's all right, brother. You, brother. Have a good one, man. JT in Tampa. Great, great shout, man. He called it with that Evan Easing fight. And, and a few of you guys out there said that, you know, I was crazy for picking Kelly. Again, the first two rounds of that fight, I'm thinking, you know what? I, I think I think I called this correct. But then you just started to see 
uh, changes. You know, you start to see body language changes and everything else. Andrew Smith in the chat, he says that, uh, let me see, let me get this comment up here on the screen. He says, Veldez's corner put an egg weight in his glove before round four. Check the footage. I love it. Dude, you have to be a diehard boxing fan to get that joke. The thing is, um, that's going to be an inside joke in boxing circles for years to come. We're going to be talking about egg weights, spiked water, all that kind of stuff. I remember after David Hay fought Vladimir Klitschko and he talked about his toe, his pinky toe is why he didn't win that fight. They called it toe gate online and, and you know, people were joking about the toe uh, for, for years after that. David Hay got rid of those jokes by putting on some exciting performances later on where he fought bravely through injuries. And then people stopped joking about the toe because people are like, okay, he proved himself here. But uh, with Wilder, the egg weights, spiked water all the other stuff the the telekinesis between Durrell to to his corner just all of it um he can make all that disappear if he gets in the ring and starts winning again all that will go away winning has a way of erasing those sorts of things okay uh let's see uh, we got another comment here in the chat uh elgui 1000 great show, man what who's next for vendez who's next um, good question. I, you know, remember guys, uh, top rank, he's a top rank fighter an ESP fighter. And we have a fight between Jamel Herring and Carl Frampton coming up. Right. I think Jamel Herring's going to win that fight. It's possible Carl Frampton could, but I think Jamel Herring's going to win. So if you're top rank, you've got Oscar Valdez, um, you've got Jamel Herring and you've got Shakur Stevenson. Which order do you do these fights? Shakur Stevenson will be the mandatory for Jamel Herring, I do believe, if he beats Carl Frampton. So if if I were top rank, I would think, you know, my two young stars, the two young guys who are going to be around for years to come are Valdez and Stevenson. Herring is getting a little bit up there in age, getting towards the end of his career. So maybe what you do is you do Herring, either Valdez versus Herring, or Stevenson versus Herring, and then the the winner goes against the other guys. So so let's say Valdez fights Herring later this year. Then maybe the winner of that fight fights Stevenson next, or vice versa. I think that would be a way to go. But uh, between one twenty two all the way up to shit one forty right now, um, man, Top Rank has a lot of options. They really really do. It's at one forty seven where the options start to cut off, at least for right now. So um, I, I think that there's several options for Valdez. He did take some punishment in that fight, though. If you look at his face, a little busted up. So he needs to rest for, for a while. But there's also, if they want to do a cross-promotional thing with Golden Boy promotions, and Top Rank and Golden Boy are simpatico, they get along. Man, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Oscar Valdez versus Joseph Diaz Jr. I know Joseph Diaz Jr. didn't make weight for his last fight. He rubbed people the wrong way. But I think that that fight in Southern California, it sells tickets. And it would be, you know, style-wise, a good fight. It would be a fun fight. So let's see here. Brad in the chat says, I've seen it all, Michael. Liston's poison on his gloves, a brick of cement against someone in the lightweight division, an ear chewed for lunch, and more. That's boxing, baby. That is why we love this damn sport. All right. Let's do the fight preview, guys. Uh, this Saturday, February 27th, there's an MTK 
global card uh, from London that was picked up by ESPN Plus. If you want to check that out, not really a great card. Some of these MTK global cards are pretty weak in my opinion, but if you want to check it out, check it out. The big event this weekend is from the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida, and it is going to be uh, on the zone here in the U.S. of A. It's brought to you by Matchroom Boxing. I will be ringside covering this event for Ring. So once again, for those of you who just got on the show, um, if you're going to be there in Florida, whether you're there watching a fight or you're just a uh, native of Florida, that's where you live, and you want to try to do a meetup or something, DM me, tweet me, text me, whatever, and we'll try to do a meetup. I'm thinking Friday night might be the time to do it. I think things are pretty open in Florida. I don't know Miami very well. I've been there a few times. I've had some real good times in Miami. I won't talk about sex on the show, but, you know, I've had some good times down there. But I haven't been there in a while, so I don't know that area very well. We'll have to see what the situation is with COVID, the bubble at the hotel and everything for me. But if I if I can get out, we'll do like a meetup Friday night, have some drinks, talk some boxing. Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about this card, man, and um, break down. Well, let's start with the undercard. I actually think this is a pretty decent card, guys. People are bashing the main event, which I'll talk about in a second. But uh, this the undercard is pretty decent. Nineteen-year-old uh, super middleweight prospect from Los Angeles, Diego Pacheco, in an eight-rounder. This is the first eight-rounder of his career. If you guys haven't seen him yet, you need to check this kid out. There's several really young prospects in this sport right now that are impressing. I talked about Gabriel Flores Jr. earlier in the show. Diego Pacheco is a guy that you need to be checking out. Make sure you check him out. Also, heavyweight action, uh, undefeated Chinese. Giant heavyweight Zali Zhang, 22-0, going up against Jerry Forrest. Uh, Forrest is a guy who's been in there with several people. Gerald Washington, Michael Hunter, Jermaine Franklin, Carlos Takam. Lost all those fights, but he goes rounds. He's, generally speaking, a durable guy and uh, gives you a good, honest night's work. If there's anything to Zhang, this Chinese heavyweight, he should win this fight in dominant fashion. Let's see. He's a little slow in plotting, but I have seen some improvement from him, so we'll give uh, that fight a shout. But the fight on this card that I'm excited about is Julio Cesar Martinez defending his WBC flyweight title against Mick Williams Arroyo. This is Mexico versus Puerto Rico. That's always good. But more than that, uh, I've talked about Mick Williams Arroyo for, for years. He's a very good quality prize fighter. He's been in there with very good fighters. He's won some loss, so he's come up short against the absolute best, but always given them competitive fights. And I think that uh, we're going to see a test here for Martinez. And um, Arroyo is older, okay? He's not at his best. He's faded. I get all that, but I still think he's got something left in the tank. Of course, I favor Martinez, and I favor him big because I think Martinez is special. But I think that this is going to be a good fight. I think this will definitely be worth checking out. And in the main event, Saul Canelo Alvarez going up against Avni Yildirim, defending his WBC super middleweight title and one of the 5,000 WBA titles in that division. Uh, so I think that, obviously, that is a one-sided fight. This is a mandatory obligation for Canelo Alvarez. Here's the thing with Canelo. I, I get it. The, the, there's been some opportunistic matchmaking recently. I thought that the Kovalev fight was very opportunistic. That was plucking a dude right place, right time. That was very Floyd Mayweather-esque. I could say the same thing with Callum Smith. Although he was rated number one in the division, a lot of that was just circumstance, right place, right time. I, I don't think anyone believes that Callum Smith was as, as good 
as uh, David Benavidez or even someone like Caleb Plant or Billy Joe Saunders on that night, right? So he wasn't the top challenge for Canelo. I understand it. Now he's fighting Avenir Durham, who is this is is this guy even a top ten in the division? He's top fifteen, maybe borderline top ten. Maybe he'll show us something in this fight. Maybe he has improved since his loss uh, in the first World Series, uh, World Boxing Super Series tournament a few years back. But Canelo's going to win this fight big. Okay, here's the thing, guys. He wants to fight four times this year. So. Even if he fights three times this year, but especially if he fights four times this year, that's a huge story. If the number one fighter in the world, pound for pound, uh, and look, maybe some of you guys have Inouye or Crawford, Canelo's right there, okay? I'm not going to argue with you over that. I personally, at this moment, rate Canelo Alvarez number one, pound for pound. I think he's earned that. And um, he, he's clearly the top moneymaker. He's the top brand. He's announced his promotional company. They're licensed now in Nevada. That's where they're going. It may probably going to be Billy Joe Saunders. If he fights four times this year and he does get a guy like Billy Joe Saunders and ends up taking on Golovkin a third time, or maybe it's someone else. Maybe it is a Caleb Plant or somebody like that. And he ends up fighting, again, four times in this calendar year, plus the Smith fight at the end of last year. Dude, that's, that's five fights within basically 12 months. That's unparalleled in this generation. Floyd never did that. The last guy to do that at this level was Oscar de la Hoya. You know what I'm saying? So, so I do think that it's important to check this fight out. I'm not saying it's the fight of the weekend or anything, but um, I do think that if Canelo can come through with what he's promising everybody, it's a big story that's important. And hopefully it sets an example for some of these younger guys coming up to just be more freaking active because that's super duper important. Okay, guys, I think that is it for this show, man. Uh, good stuff, guys. Uh, a little bumpy up front with the new software, but uh, we figured that out. Check this out. All I got to do is hit a button to do the outro music now. Boom. That's it. A button and the outro music plays. So, uh, guys, thank you so much. Um, check me out in Miami. All right. If you're down there, let's do a meetup. If not, we'll be back here TNC next Monday. If I can do a ringside recap for uh, the for the fight from ringside, if they'll let me do that, I don't know what the COVID protocol is. I might be wearing a damn mask in the video, but I'll do a ringside recap from Miami Saturday night. All right. In the meantime, have a good night. I'll see you at the fights. And we're out. <laughs>